Welcome to the Stephen Mansfield Podcast. Well, welcome to the Stephen Mansfield Podcast. I'm so glad you've joined me and I'm looking forward to diving into this really important subject today. A few weeks ago, maybe a month or two ago, I did a podcast called Stats or Statistics Changing the World. And this is a continuation of a theme that I like to talk about. I want in this podcast to obviously talk about current events and what's happening in the news cycle and so on. But I also want to help you think about your times. I want to help you learn how to think about your times in ways that are not just about the next 24 hours and what's on the evening news, but about what's actually shaping the world in which you live. And there are some massive trends shaping American society. In fact, global society. I talk about them often. I try to bring them to you and I try to model how this kind of thinking really is more strategic in terms of where we're going as a national and global society. For example, I'm always talking about the fact that for a nation to have a replacement population, you have to have a birth rate of 2.1. If you have less than that, then of course you're going to, your population is going to be declining. If you have more than that, then obviously your population increasing. Well, uh, as you look around the world, you'll see that Muslim countries have dramatically high birth rates because they don't believe in birth control, because they emphasize uh, large families, and also because in some parts of the Muslim world, uh, men can have two or three wives. So all of that to say, they're growing, they're increasing, they're even increasing uh, their populations within Western countries. By the same token, traditional populations, let's say in Europe, have extremely low birth rates, uh, far below replacement. So that in most of Europe, the birth rate is such that the traditional population is dramatically declining. In fact, the stat is uh, that in Italy, for example, the birth rate is half of what it needs to be for replacement. And that in maybe 20, 25 years, years, the average Italian will not have an uncle, an aunt, a brother, or a sister. Think about that. Because of this simple statistic, 2.1 is what a nation needs to replace its population. The U.S. has one nostril above that level only because of Hispanic birth rates. Uh, The Hispanic birth rate is five times that of white, double that of black, and uh, it's pretty pretty amazing. So these are things that some people feel uncomfortable talking about, but this is what's shaping our world. Okay, there's an example of something I've talked about before. But let me come back to the United States and talk about a couple of trends that are dramatically shaping where we're going. And I believe in that podcast I did uh, some weeks ago that I said if I was putting on my Republican consultant hat, that these are statistics I would tell them they need to know. And it was about the time, uh, you know, that Trump had talked about sending the squad, the four kind of radical and ethnic female congresswomen uh, back to their countries. And there was all that discussion going on in the Republican Party and people were upset. And and it was a meaningful discussion to some degree. But the more important issue, of course, is how numbers, demographics are working against the Republican Party. So I positioned myself as a Republican Party advisor just for the sake of that podcast. And I said, if I was advising them, I would encourage them to consider the following. Well, let me dive into some additional statistics that I think are extremely important. In fact, to me, they're actually shocking. Um, 
Just for a moment, one of the things you want to look at in any country in the world is what the common or average age is. What's the most common age? In other words, what age are most people? Or what's the average age, the mean age? That's a mathematical formula, obviously. What's the mean age? When I travel around the world, I'm always paying attention to this. For example, the average age in Iran is 24. That tells you something about the youth that are rising there, about the loss of an older generation through war, and about what that might mean in terms of democracy and in terms of maybe more moderate Islam and things of that nature. Uh, I do a lot in the Philippines and I'm connected to a lot of people in the Philippines. The average age there is 22. So you have a young, high-tech, growing, young age group there, uh, young vital society. Uh, What does it mean in terms of styles? What does it mean in terms of business? What does it mean in terms of politics? What does it mean in terms of the outreach of a church, for example? So the mean age is important. Now, when it comes to the United States, the common age in the U.S. is 27. This means the most common age, the one that more people are than any other age, the common age is different from the mean age is 27. All right. So more people are that age, but listen to this. The most common age amongst whites. All right. That first number was the whole nation, 27, the whole nation. The most common age among whites is 58, 58. So I'm giving you some numbers that might be a little bit confusing. The most common age, more Americans are 27 than any other single age. All right. That's the whole country. But if you just consider whites, the most common age is 58. By the way, the mean age, the average age that I mentioned earlier for the U.S. is 38. That's quite old by world standards. By the way, one of the oldest is England. The uh, Of the traditional population, uh, the average age is somewhere around 42. So in other words, these traditional populations are aging. So in the United States... Uh, We are heading towards a situation where whites have had fewer children and are getting older. And other populations, obviously they'd be non-white populations, uh, have more children and they are getting, they're not getting younger, but they have more children. Therefore, their numbers are lower. So for non-white populations, you're more likely to be 27. You're, the average age is down in the 20s somewhere, whereas for the country as a whole, it's, it's 38. The reason it's higher for the country as a whole is that you include whites. And the common age for whites is 58. Now, This is important, not because we're preoccupied with racial politics and so on, but that it does make a difference. The reality is that the vast majority of white voters vote Republican. And obviously, we all know that the vast majority of non-white voters vote Democrat. So again, if I'm putting on my Republican advisor hat for a moment, or just basically my professor hat, that I would say that what you're looking at is a demographic trend that is against Republicans. Their population is aging out, to use the phrase demographers often use. It's aging out. They're getting older. They're dying off. They're not, they didn't have as many children. But Democrats have got a young, largely non-white, growing population in support. 
And I'll have to say that this is for a number of reasons. It's not, I don't, I don't believe, frankly, it's just uh, whites trying to maintain white privilege. I believe that white, these, these people turned Republican and Republicans have done a terrible job of engaging non-whites and a terrible job of engaging the young. Let's assume that ter- Republicans have some good ideas. I'm being humorous for the, for the moment. Um, they haven't done a good job of, of taking them to the non-white community and they haven't done a good job of winning over the young. And so as a result, uh, you've got an inc- growing, growing and young and vibrant uh, a group of Americans who are Democrats and you have Republicans aging out because, again, white voters have largely been the backbone of the Republicans. Pretty stunning pretty stunning. These trends will have an impact. They're already having an impact on our on our elections. They'll have an impact on the next election. And so just think for a moment, if you're wondering how this affects behavior of politics, again, I'm, I'm just staying neutral for a moment and just talking about how it works in politics. If Trump makes disparaging statements about a given uh, ethnicity, if Trump makes disparaging statements about women of color, if Trump makes disparaging statements about who knows, um, national immigrants of brown skin coming across the southern border. And that's not me saying that. That's me quoting. Then what do you have? You are, you are essentially insulting the growth side of American politics, the people you have to win over in order to win elections. And by the way, you know, putting it beyond elections and politics, the people you want to serve, the people so, uh, supposedly uh, you went into politics to help and to serve, not just to grow your own career. So when Republicans feel the need to rally around Donald Trump when he's made some nominally racist statement, and I'm just talking about his statements here, I'm making no value judgment about whether he's a racist, then then the fact is they are losing the very demographic they've got to win, young voters who are non-white. Consider just for a moment the whole issue of guns. The young are just pulling their hair out, every kind of young person, every color of young person, pulling their hair out about the fact that there hasn't been any legislation restricting guns, especially in the wake of so many school shootings and mall shootings and so on. Whereas older white voters... Uh, who tend to lean Republican, they, of course, have been more influenced by the NRA. They tend to be gun owners. They tend to have a Second Amendment preoccupation where they just, you know, as Charlton Heston once said, you can have my gun when you take it out of my cold, dead hand, that kind of attitude. They tend to be white. They tend to be more Southern. Um, that's just the general demographic. Now, obviously, you have gun, gun owners at other ages. So when Republicans land on don't do anything about guns, don't restrict gun rights after a shooting, they again are feeding uh, the Democratic side. They're, they're, they're moving away from the young. They're moving away from the very voters they're going to need in the future. You see what's happening here. I'll tell you that almost every single news cycle, when it comes just purely to demographics, I'm not talking about values or eternal truth here. I'm talking about just the pure politics of the moment. The Republicans are shooting themselves constantly, not just in the foot. They've moved up to the knee. They've moved up to the hip. (laughs) They're shooting themselves in the gut. Demographically, Republicans are killing themselves. Now, let me tell you something else that's interesting and that is absolutely uh, stunning to me. And that is that not only do we have this non-white, white voter, young voter, older voter dynamic going on in our society that I've just described, but... Also, you've got an increasing rural-urban divide. 
increasingly people are moving into cities. It's taking fewer and fewer people to maintain agriculture and the industries of the rural world. Uh, you know, the number of people in agriculture in the late 1800s, let's say, vast majority of Americans had to work in agriculture to feed the world, feed the country. Now, of course, with industrial farms and commercial farms and what have you and high tech, it takes very, very few people to make the, 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 the amount of food that we eat. Plus, there's global trade. So, you, you, you increasingly people are living in cities. I live in two cities. I live right, pretty much right downtown. Absolutely love it. See the virtues of it. Understand it. What I do, my industries, my work, my travels fit that lifestyle and I welcome it. I think it's a good thing. Uh, we're moving increasingly towards cities and away from the urban. But nevertheless, listen to this. And I'm quoting now from Axios, which is, by the way, my favorite daily news service. Many of the nation's current pathologies are centered in the majority white population of rural America, heavily hit by the opioid crisis and facing falling populations, job losses, and rising suicide rates. And uh, here, are, here are things that I think are, are, are really, really important. Um, it's, just, it's just stunning what's going on. Um, the fact is that political and economic power shifting to the cities and 26% of the population, 46 million people, are being left in the middle of America. In other words, people outside the cities, 46 million people are being left there. Um, they are facing increasing barriers, pretty stunning increasing barriers of education and health care and uh, all kinds of problems of health and wealth. So listen to this. Throughout your life, uh, if you are, were born and grew up and, are now, and now reside in rural America, we all have ties there, we all have connections there, and American history has kind of an emotional connection to the family farm and so on. But throughout your life, uh, if, if you have lived in that part of the world uh, if you have, were born and, uh, and grew up in rural America, uh, you've been more susceptible to poverty, lower education, illness, and even death than your city counterparts, than your ur urban counterparts. As a kid, the chances are you lived farther away from a doctor or a hospital and got less exercise. You were more likely to live in a school desert, as they call it, having to travel the long, long distances to make it to school. So even if you got a college degree, you'd likely end up saddled with debt that returning to your rural hometown wouldn't be an option if you opted to get a job that would enable you to pay it off, according to federal research. As an adult, you're more likely to suffer from obesity, mental health issues, diabetes, cancer, and opioid addiction. All of these things are true of people living in rural areas. You're more likely to know people who have taken their own lives. Now, what am I reading here? I'm reading from Axios. They've done a beautiful job in a report. And the reason I'm saying this is that these are characteristics of people who live in rural settings as opposed to urban settings. You are actually more likely to know people who have taken their lives in rural America than you are in urban if you keep working in your hometown, your job is more likely to be taken over by artificial intelligence, according to a Brookings Institution study, especially if you live in Indiana, Kentucky, South Dakota, Arkansas, or Iowa. Your community's economy still hasn't fully recovered from the 2008 recession. This is just on average now. If you live in rural America, it's likely your community still hasn't recovered from the 2008 recession. As you get older, you're more likely to die a preventable death 
according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. If you do make it into old age, you may not have a place to grow old near your friends, family, and the place you called home your whole life. In other words, you have to move for senior care. It goes on and on and on. The technological advancements don't, aren't reaching rural America. And of course, there's this rural-urban divide in all of our politics. Now, I could read some more stats, but you get the point. The fact is that amongst the least healthy, least well-educated, least well-served, um, least, uh, at least, at least economically vital areas of our country are these rural areas. And because more and more people are jamming into the cities, and by the way, this, the cities, when I say jamming, I don't mean that there's overcrowding. For the most part, technology and architectural trends and, and reforms have allowed the cities to be pretty wonderful. Um, they're not ghettos. They're not, uh, they're not tenements. They're not hovels like they were at, in earlier times in American history. Uh, they're getting better. They're improving. They're places you actually want to live. Unfortunately, weirdly, oddly, whereas we used to think of the rural areas as being healthy and, and simple economies and community and people connected, that's all changing. And so of, of the 350 million people approximately currently living in the U.S., 46 million who live in rural areas are some of the most underserved, unhealthy, uh, mentally challenged. Not, not all of them, obviously, but as, as a matter of statistics, um, economically challenged, et cetera, people anywhere. So this urban rural divide is huge and by the way what's the dominant race of or the skin color of those living in those rural areas of course white and older white americans so there are a whole bunch of things I could discuss in connection with this related to politics. First of all, just taking care of people, loving people, representing people, serving people. This is a vital thing for us to know. Also, it's vital to know that for the most part, younger populations moving in the cities, uh, making the cities hot, vital, creative places, uh, cool things happening in cities for the most part. Um, that that's the trend of the future. People are just finding greater life, greater prosperity, uh, greater division of labor, every kind of thing in the cities. And so around the world, uh, cities are the happening thing. There are even books about, uh, about the future, for example, religion in the cities and so on and how it's going to change everything. Okay. But a number of things are going to be really important. I'll tell you one thing that we're really going to want to fight for in American politics. And this is going to surprise some of you. And that's the electoral college. If we don't keep the genius of the founding fathers electoral college, the electoral college forced the idea that you couldn't just win certain population centers and thus win the entire election. You had to appeal to a broad, broad a wide variety of people. If it weren't for the electoral college, you could win a handful of large cities in America and win, for example, a presidential election. But you'd never have to appeal to rural America. You'd never have to appeal to flyover country. You could basically do large cities along the coasts of the U.S. and never have to appeal to middle America, where there are arguably 50 million people who are the most underserved in our society and are the most challenged. So... I know this gets a little complex. Maybe you want to listen to this podcast again, if that doesn't drive you crazy with me talking fast like this. But, but what you have to understand is that all of us have our noses pressed up to the screens, paying attention to daily news cycle trends. And some of those are interesting and fascinating. But I'll have to tell you that Trump's latest accusations about Jeffrey Epstein and, and, uh, and you know, whether, whether 
Bill Clinton murdered him in his prison. I don't mean to laugh, but that, okay, that may be interesting for a week or two, and it may be a chance for the news media to bash Trump and the rest of us to hold our noses and what have you. The bigger thing that's happening, the more important thing that's happening, are trends that are actually going to affect the next election. And I can assure you that here in D.C., people are paying attention to these trends and they're, they're, they're you know, conforming and, and, and fine-tuning campaigns to accommodate these trends. But these trends will affect everything in the future. They will affect your community. They will affect economics. They will affect marketing. They will affect the appeal and growth of religions. They will affect everything. So I'm not saying don't pay attention to the daily news. I'm not saying don't pay attention to the breaking news story. And we have one of those about every 16 seconds. But pay attention to the macro trends shaping your world. Listen to my podcast I did some time ago called Stats Changing the World and pay attention to these trends. I'll continue to do this. I'll continue to bring these stats to you because this is what's shaping your world. And by the way, even if you're in your 60s or 70s and you're likely to live another 20 years, uh, don't think that you've, you've outgrown these things. Don't think, well, it, it'll affect the young folks. It won't affect me. No, this will shape your world and it will shape your politics. It'll even affect things like welfare and Medicare and services like that and how they're funded by our government. Understand the times, understand the trends, understand your world. Stephen Mansfield is a New York Times best-selling author, a popular speaker, and a frequent faith and culture commentator on Fox and CNN. His groundbreaking books on faith and society include The Faith of George W. Bush, The Search for God in Guinness, Mansfield's Book of Manly Men, and Lincoln's Battle with God. Learn more at stephenmansfield.tv.